it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hello, folks, and welcome to Cudlow. I'm Larry Cudlow. So weakness, appeasement, lawlessness. That's what the Bidens are showing us. We're going to talk about it with Liz Peake, Rich Lowry, and Katie Pavlich in just a few moments. We'll be joined by Sarah Carter and Cash Patel later in the show. But first up, uh, we're going south to the White House, where our own Edward Lawrence is standing by with all of the gory details. Edward, how wonderful (laughs) to see you this evening. Good to see you, too, Larry. I'm glad you're in such a good mood. Now, the U.S. NSC officials here are saying uh, that they will respond to the attack that killed three Americans in a time of their choosing. Now, President Biden, well, he's off to Michigan here. He's at going to a campaign event for the UAW. Uh, he has not found yet a time of his choosing to respond to that. Now, tomorrow, the president will be in Dover, Delaware, for the dignified transfer of remains for Sergeant William Rivers, uh, Sergeant Kennedy Sanders, and Sergeant Brianna Moffitt. Now, while reports overseas are saying that the leaders of the group responsible for the deaths fled back to Iran after the president said he decided on a response. In terms of uh, telegraphing about strikes and whether or not uh, uh, people uh, leave or would have left, you know, I won't speculate uh, on uh, on any of that. I would just tell you that, uh, you know, it, we will have a, a multi-tiered response. Uh, and uh, and again, we have the ability to uh, uh, to respond uh, a number in a, a number of times, depending on what the situation is. So the defense secretary made the point that uh, we are not at war with Iran and he does not want or the U.S. does not want to escalate the conflicts across the Middle East. He also called on Iran to stop supplying the Houthis with missiles being launched at ships in the Red Sea. The U.S. recently took its 12th strike in self-defense on the ground there in Yemen. Now, some former intelligence officials say the Biden administration should have responded to all of these attacks more forcefully and months ago when they first started. Listen. And so do I think the administration's going to respond in some way? Yes. But I also think that uh, it's after uh, at least three preventable deaths. And, um, you know, so, so we'll see what happens. I do expect that there'll be some targets taken. And now that the administration has waited this long, we'll see if the response has the effect of deterring future aggression. Larry? All right. Thanks very much, Edward Lawrence. I just want to add, folks, by way of introduction, the stock market, Dow Jones, up 369 points, and we will have uh, Jerry Willis on the show to report on that uh, a bit later in the show. But first of all, I want to talk about the war situation. It is day five since Iranian-backed militias attacked a U.S. military base in Jordan, killing three American patriotic troops and wounding over three dozen others. Before that, Two brave Navy SEALs were lost at sea in the aftermath of a Houthi attack. So we're at day five, 120 hours, and still no U.S. military response. This is an insult to the brave soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice. It's an insult to the injured. It's an insult to their families. And frankly, it's an insult to the entire country. The Biden administration has done nothing to retaliate, nothing to honor them, 
nothing to defend American freedom and security. Am I really the only one who was making this point? I certainly hope not. Now, today, in a very shaky and sketchy press conference, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said, now, quote, we are not at war with Iran. Really? With all due respect, sir, I believe the United States is at war with Iran. If for no other reason, because Iran has declared war against the United States many times. And by sponsoring 166, at the latest count, attacks against U.S. military assets, Iran has essentially declared war against the United States 166 times. General Austin's concerned about the Houthis and ISIS. Well, okay. But remember, Iran is the puppeteer. Iran is the paymaster. U.S. officials are leaking that the American response will not include Iran, but it will hit Iranian proxies in Iraq and Syria. To me, this is simply inadequate. We're not hurting Iran. We're not telling the Chinese to stop financing this war by buying Iranian oil. We're not interdicting or impounding Iranian oil ships that are violating the sanctions put in place by Congress and authored by the Trump administration. Iran was nearly bankrupt three years ago. Today, their oil and foreign exchange reserves are totaling somewhere near $80 billion. Three years ago, they were producing a million barrels a day of oil at best. Today, they're up to three and a half million barrels in violation of the sanctions, that is. The sanctions that have been either lifted or relaxed by the Biden administration. Now, numerous military experts, former members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and others, have strongly recommended that the United States retaliate by bombing Iranian oil fields or offshore oil rigs or bombing Iranian command and control centers or bombing Iranian terrorist training centers. But none of this is apparently going to happen. So the Bidens continue their misbegotten policy of Iranian appeasement. They refuse to implement clear economic and military deterrence. Years ago, Ronald Reagan took out nearly half the Iranian Navy in retaliation just for hitting one American frigate. Four years ago, Donald Trump took out Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Iranian terrorism. That is called deterrence. To this day, it seems pretty clear the Biden administration still wants to do more business with Iran. A nuclear deal, for example. Invite them to the high table of Mideast and world nations. This approach that first surfaced during the Obama years is utterly delusional. The empirical evidence shows it to be delusional. You cannot buy off the Iranians. You cannot appease the Iranians. So, so, it is day five, 120 hours, after three brave patriotic service members lost their lives to an Iranian attack, and countless others injured, and 166 attacks on our military, and attacks on our American honor. Five days is five days way too long. And that is my thought on this matter. All right, we're going to talk more about this later in the show. We have uh, General Keith Kellogg. We have our own Sandra Smith and John Roberts. 
We're going to open up with politics, but that is going to include this Iranian situation. We welcome Liz Peek, syndicated columnist and Fox News contributor, Rich Lowry, editor-in-chief of National Review, and Katie Pavlich, editor at townhall.com and Fox News contributor. Katie, you're the furthest away. Uh, I mean, I guess I want to talk about the politics of Iran because, I mean, if you have other thoughts, feel free. But, you know, it just occurs to me we've waited five days, and that's way too long, and it sends the wrong signal. Mm -hmm. but, but most of all, Katie, it just seems like that is another sign or example of Biden weakness on the world stage. And I don't think American voters in the main, Katie, want to see American weakness on the world stage. How do you see it? Well, it's so interesting because Secretary of State Antony Blinken yesterday said that he believes the Middle East is in a position that has not been more dangerous since the 1970s. Uh, and they should probably hold up a mirror and ask why that is. They continue to say from the White House podium, John Kirby, for example, that they don't want to escalate the situation. They want to de-escalate. But because of their weakness and the refusal to show strength against Iran and instead appease them, they've actually invited escalation by the Iranians. I don't think you can stress enough the fact that the Houthi rebels in Yemen have shut down international shipping in the Red Sea, whether it's attacks on military vessels or attacks on commercial shipping. That is an embarrassment to the United States. It is, it's an embarrassment to the Western world. And if you don't think that bigger players like China are watching to see what they can do with shipping in the South China Sea because mm. the United States is weak, uh, Americans' lives will change significantly if those kinds of things start happening where international shipping is controlled, not by the United States, but by foreign adversaries who don't have uh, free trade and capitalism and getting people the goods that they need in mind. I mean, that is going to be a huge, huge problem, uh, I think, for the Biden administration if this weakness continues and you have rebel groups that are funded by Iran yeah. uh, continuing to do that. One more thing I would say is that Hamas is a, an Iranian-backed proxy in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank. They are still holding American hostages in the Gaza Strip right now. And you don't hear the president talking about it or issuing any kind of force to get them back. No, Katie, that's a great point. He never really talks about that. He never talked about it from the very beginning. That's a good point. Uh, well put and uh, well taken. Uh, Rich Larry, I just feel, in, in a sense, uh, I don't want to be partisan. I don't need to be partisan. I think that Americans want to see a certain toughness and strength when it conducts its foreign relations, okay? That doesn't mean I want wars everywhere, because I don't, actually. But there's something tough here. Biden shows weakness. Yep. His primary opponent, Trump, shows toughness. Yep. And I think the politics of this going to play out. So no one has thought that Joe Biden has requisite strength and toughness since the Afghan pullout. I mean, that just changed the whole nature of his presidency, and we're seeing it here. I mean, it's humiliated, humiliating. I agree entirely with your monologue, except for maybe one friendly caveat. You said deterrence isn't at play here. It is. We're getting deterred by Iran and its proxies. And the other thing, the last you know, couple of years, but certainly the last several months, we've seen the great reversal fail. So Biden reversed all the stuff. He reversed Trump policies at the border. He reversed the, the cutoff of UNRWA funding. He reversed the terrorist designation of the Houthis. And he reversed the policy of squeezing Iran fiscally to death. And we see all those were catastrophic mistakes. 
You know, Liz, that's an interesting point uh, Rich makes. I, I want to go back to the um, U.N. relief workers. So the Bidens made such a big deal about providing, quote, unquote, humanitarian aid and told us time and again that we could trust the humanitarian aid, the relief workers agency in the U.N., you know, now it turns out shocking. I'm shocked to learn that many of them were actually participating with Hamas on October 7th, uh, and probably many more. And the people in Israel and others who told us we could never trust uh, the, the relief workers to distribute humanitarian aid because it was all run by Hamas turned out to be right. Yeah. This is another example of Rich's point about how they've reversed policy to disastrous consequences. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about this a number of times on your show. The idea that the Gaza Strip is not run entirely by Hamas yeah. was always a, a mistake. That was simply not true. But I want to go back to this um, peace through strength concept. That, I mean, someone used the expression that Biden has a crippling fear of escalation. We saw it in Ukraine and we've seen it in Iran. Somehow he feels like if we take a positive, aggressive movement somewhere uh, or, or action against our enemies, that all hell will break loose. Hello, folks. It has already broken loose. And the only way you deter it is by in, indeed taking a proactive step. I mean, I, I just find everything they're thinking about is completely backwards. And by the way, it isn't just with our foreign adversaries that Biden looks weak. He looks weak with the progressive left in his party. He looks weak with Lloyd Austin. Lloyd he, he Austin should have been fired. <laughs> he does, that's true. But I mean, he, sh he should have he fired looks, some he people. He looks weak when he can't find his own secretary. Yeah, I mean, but, but there are jokes about this. But, but that it's, was it's unacceptable. Not a joke. That's right. It's it not was a unacceptable. Matter. What if this thing had happened when Lloyd Austin was in the ICU? That's no right. one asked him that, I don't believe, at the press conference today. What would have the answer been? I'm sorry I couldn't have taken the phone call. I mean, it's inexcusable, and Biden would look bigger if he started getting rid of some of the people in his cabinet who have really let him right. down. That would have showed strength. Like, I yes, like, I like totally. Lloyd Austin. Got to go. Yeah, Unacceptable. Exactly. But he can't do it. Would never do it. You know, I remember Trump firing cabinet members. Took a lot of criticism yeah. for it. But you know what? <laughs> I got to say, as somebody who was around most of the time... They deserved it. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if you're not producing, if you're running, a, if you know, Katie, if, if you're running in a business, if you're running a big division and your division keeps losing money, you got to throw out one head and bring in another. And uh, Joe Biden doesn't do that. They're all losing money. I don't know what it is. They're all going under. Liz, I just want to come back um, your column uh, as all your columns are great, this one I found more amusing than, than many. Trump needs Nikki Haley's donors. Now, you know the Kudlow rule, which is the Kellyanne Conway rule. The donors are always wrong. So the donors came out against Trump from the very beginning, and they supported uh, Governor DeSantis, and now they're supporting Haley. But, 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 you do make a good point. He will need a lot of money. Yeah. It's going to be a very expensive race, uh, incredibly expensive. Uh, I just want to put in... The reports yesterday, and I want everyone to weigh in on this, um, Susie Wilde's campaign manager met with the Paul Singer donors group, mm -hmm. New York-based, but actually national group, uh, really powerful donors. And by the end of that thing, I mean, she, they're ready to come, and they're all looking for connections, and how can I do this, how can I do that? So my point is, I think the tide has turned there. Well, and in fact, to your point, some of DeSantis's uh, donors have actually come across to now being Donald Trump donors. My point was, he really does need this money for him to blast his... 
uh, her donors and say, well, they're not going to be in the MAGA tent if they keep supporting Nikki Haley. That was just plain stupid well, because think, he actually wants those people to support him. I think it was him. one of those got-away remarks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, fair, he, he, fair enough. Watch his actions, not his words. <laughs> right. That's what Susie Wiles said. And, you know, we've seen this before. Anyway, I, I, do like think, the money. I do think there's a shot that some of these people will come around because guess what? Four more years of Joe Biden, I think most of us feel, is an unimaginable horror for our country on so many levels, which we could spend hours But, but it's not just about. the donors, right? He needs every single one of her voters if yeah, he can get them yeah, in the fall. And that's why I know it won't happen. But if he talks about her at all, I think he should say, I, I just want you to know, whatever she's saying about me, I want you, if you're supporting her, to be with me in the fall. I need every single vote. I don't I think... Uh, Katie, why don't you come in on this, too? I'm sorry. You're here in spirit, if not actually physically. <laughs> but, um, Katie, <laughs> with, I'm not making a recommendation, but I am saying that I don't think folks, pundits, so forth, should rule out a Nikki Haley uh, vice president or a Nikki Haley, mm -hmm. let me say, if not Veep, welcome back into Trump world, into his good graces. You know, he has a history of this, right? He'll get teed off, he'll fire away, yeah. uh, and he's very effective at that, Lord knows. But he also, I, you know, I'm not going to do it on this segment, but there are many examples I could give down through the years where he has welcomed people back to the fold, Katie. Indeed. Indeed. He, he has been rec reconciliatory, both in practice and in recently uh, with his opponents. But the fact is that Nikki Haley is still running against him. And to your point about the vice presidency, there is this theory that she's going to try and move through Super Tuesday to try and leverage a few delegates so that she has this power within the Republican Party when it comes to the convention to try and say, I would be a good vice, pre vice presidential pick for a number of reasons. The donors, as Liz points out, the voters, as Rich just said, and also the independents who maybe want to vote against Joe Biden, but they're not so sure about a straight Trump ticket. And so certainly it's something that could happen. Um, but the longer she throws insults at him, uh, the worse it's going to be for her. It's not like mm. this is going one way. I mean, she has this, you know, this mm. angry old man campaign out now. Um, she's calling him incompetent, that he's incapable of being the president again. I mean, yeah, it's not like not these good. things are going one way that's, on the campaign trail. By the way, I just want to clarify, I'm, I'm not recommending that she be on the ticket. I, I'm just saying he has a way of bringing people back uh, into the fold. Uh, Rich Larry, I'm going to give you the... By the way, he's brought you back into the fold. So there's a perfect well, example occasional of that. Occasional olive branches. He, he's merciless in his tax and then can be extremely forgiving yes. if you say something nice about him or he thinks it suits his interests. I don't see her going to Katie's point. The, the attacks from Nikki are pretty harsh now and it would be hard to backpedal on. Not you know, good. Everything's Not possible good. in vice presidential politics, but I don't see that. But at the very least, Trump should want, whenever she actually gets out, her to be at the next rally, you know, and, oh, uh, and, right. and with Good them point. just to try to unite the party because there's 25 percent that yeah. feels uncomfortable. Just remember, for those of us of a certain age, JFK made up with LBJ. Mm -hmm. And yeah. RFK, who was his campaign mm -hmm. manager, made up with yeah. LBJ. All things are possible at this And level. Ronald Reagan made up with, uh, with Papa Bush, too. Yeah. So you never know. You never know. Politics. <laughs> never war, say never. Love. Right? You just can't tell about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, kids. Liz Peake, Rich Lowry, and Katie Pavlich in the ether sphere. Thank Thanks, you very Larry. much for helping out. All right, folks, here on Cudlow, coming up, you reap what you sow. And Biden's open border and soft on crime policies have now led to an incredible illegal immigration catastrophe. Law and order is suddenly out of style.
It's not even part of our political vocabulary anymore, at least if you're a big city mayor or a blue state governor. We'll talk about it with Sarah Carter and Cash Patel when Kudlow returns. And please remember, you can catch Kudlow Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. right here on Fox Biz. If you can't make it at 4 for some crazy reason, just text your favorite nine-year-old. and She will show you how to DVR the show, and you will never miss a thing. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, next up, let's turn to Capitol Hill. Senator Chuck Schumer says the dreaded Senate border bill text will finally be posted as early as tomorrow and no later than Sunday. So who better to tell us? Fox News' senior congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram, Live with the latest. All right, Chad, what do you think's coming out of this thing? Larry, good afternoon. The biggest debate on border and immigration policy in more than a decade could hit the Senate floor next week. Negotiators say the bill clocks in around 200 pages, not a thousand pages like some big bills. But we are getting very close. I want members to be aware that we plan to post the full text of the National Security Supplemental as early as tomorrow, no later than Sunday. That will give members plenty of time to read the bill before voting on it. But timing is in the eye of the beholder. GOP Utah Senator Mike Lee demanded three weeks to consider the bill. Others want the opportunity to offer changes. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer plans a test vote to break a filibuster to start next Wednesday. That needs 60 yeas. The details are going to matter. And I, next week would be a quick turnaround. The thing about text and why it's so important in this context is that the legal language matters a great deal. Border negotiator James Lankford is urging his colleagues against making decisions about the bill, quote, based on the Internet. Senators are leery of last-minute alterations. The more you change the bill the more partisan it becomes. And at some point, instead of being bipartisan, it becomes partisan. And at some point, we have to make a decision, too, how much more can we give before we walk away? 
But once bill text arrives, expect opponents to rip the bill apart. Here's a key marker to watch. Does the bill score support from the majority of Senate Republicans? If the bill fails to get 60 yeas next Wednesday, the gig is up. Larry? Yeah, you know, Chad, 100%, that 60 vote thing is the first marker to watch. And that could be a tall hurdle. Anyway, thank you, Chad Program, and we thank appreciate you. your rundown very, very much. All right, folks, uh, speaking of the border, an illegal migrant crime wave is sweeping the country. That is part of this story. And the question I ask is, what's happened to law and order in this country? Law and order is not even part of the political lexicon anymore, not part of the vocabulary. Let's talk about it with Sarah Carter, Fox News contributor, and Cash Patel, former uh, deputy director of national intelligence and author of Government Gangsters. Welcome to both of you. Sarah, um, I'm going to read you two headlines from the New York Post. Biden doesn't need a bill to fix border. He just refuses to enforce the law. The second one I'm going to read to you is New York is considering relaxing work qualifications for thousands of jobs to hire migrants. And the other thing, Sarah, and I'm sure you're aware of it because you covered the beat. What happened to those two New York cops? Uh, I believe it was Sunday uh, attacked by um, illegal migrants who were then let off scot free without bail. It's just a horrible, hideous story. But unfortunately, Sarah, it's not a unique story. And so I'm coupling the illegality at the border with the lawlessness really around the country. What do you think about this? This is the most troubling part to me. It is to me, too. I mean, law and order ended at the border when our lawless president allowed people to just come into our country illegally. I mean, there is a reason that it's called illegal aliens. I mean, that is the legal term. And people are coming across the border. They're pouring across the border in droves because our president has a policy, Larry, of opening up the border to the entire world. Now, the real question is, why is our president determined to destroy our foundation of our nation, to go against the laws of this country and then come around and say, oh, hey, guess what? We've got this Senate bill and it's all the Republicans' fault. If they don't sign on to this Senate bill to fund Ukraine and, and to take care of the border, then it's their fault that we have this crime wave sweeping across our nation. No, the crime wave is happening because we have People in our nation that are coming into this country that have not been properly vetted, that pose very serious national security risk, and I'm sure Cash can talk about that because it's extensive, because we've opened up the border and basically tied the hands of our federal agents as well as our local law enforcement, which is the reason why when I was down in Shelby Park just this past week and Governor Greg Abbott is basically at a standoff with President Biden doing the job that President Biden should do. It's the reason why the American public is looking to Texas for answers. And it's not stopping the flow because we're seeing it, Larry, in Arizona. We're seeing the flow move to California. It has to be the federal government willing to shut it down. And we don't need a bill to do that. We just need to follow the law. You know, that's a key thing. Cash, get your men on this. Um, Look, Chad Program has given a great analysis of what's happening with the legislation. But the Bidens don't need legislation. There's more than ample legislation on the books to take care of this. And by the by, 
if Joe Biden thought he needed more money for more border agents who might stop migrants, although they're being used to expedite and facilitate, not stop them. But you know what? He had a Democratic House and Senate for a couple of years, and he didn't do a darn thing, Cash. Look, Sarah, spot on. Follow the law. And you're right. Look, Joe Biden's policy when it comes to national security has been simply the following. What did Donald Trump do? I'm going to do the opposite, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Iran, whether it's China and the CCP, specifically the cartels in the border, like we're talking about today. He rescinded on his first month, Biden, that is, nine executive orders that Donald Trump had implemented to secure the border including funding the wall and funding our agents and giving them the authorities to return immediately illegal immigrants, to force them to stay in Mexico and all the agreements surrounding family custodial issues. There are so many um, uh, legal implementations that Donald Trump executed that Joe Biden just said, we're done with that. And when you do that and you have a crime spree and you have a world taking over the southern border invasion, you get Iran, you get the CCP, and you get the cartels to flood our community with terrorists and criminals. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, New York, right. my original hometown, when mm-hmm. I see cops beating up, I don't want to see the guy that beat up the cops flip the bird to the camera and the cops on the way out because yeah. he received a bomb. Yeah. Right. You're right. All right, Sarah Carter, thank you very much. Cash Patel, thank you both very, very much. Tough thank story. You. All right, folks, next up, our power panel. We have Sandra Smith. We have John Roberts and we have Taylor Riggs. You're going to love this. Economics and world events. Hang in with Kudlow. Lots more to do tonight. We need some law. We need some law and order as part of our vocabulary for a change. All right, some positive news. The Dow Jones stock market average hit a new record high, and we've got Fox Business Jerry Willis here to tell us why. It's not true unless you report it, Jerry. (laughs) I love the way you think. Well, the Dow looking at the eighth record close this year as stocks rebound. The Dow higher by 369, the S&P up 60, the Nasdaq rising 197. Look, yesterday's Fed-driven sell-off only a memory as big tech and cyclical stocks bounce and bond yields fall. Apple, Amazon, Meta were all trading higher into the close as we await earnings reports from those big mega tech companies. Futures markets now looking at a 94 percent chance of a rate cut in May. And let me warn you about Friday. Tomorrow, all eyes will be on the jobs report from the Labor Department. Consensus expectations are for non-farm payrolls to increase by 173,000, while the jobless rate creeps higher to 3.8 percent. Larry? All right, Jerry Willis, thank you very much, as always. All right, we're going to switch gears and mix it up a little bit. Great fun. Distinguished panel. (laughs) We'll bring in the co-anchors. This is unbelievable. The co-anchors of the America Reports on Fox News. Sandra Smith, raise your hand, yes. and John Roberts. And if that weren't good enough, Here. Hey, hey, wait Riggs. a second. We, we, we live in Washington where you only raise your hand. <laughs> I know you go like that. And if all that weren't enough, Taylor Riggs, co-host yes. of The Big Money Show. Can I raise my hand, too? <laughs> Do you swear no, to? We have a little name. <clears throat> all right. Now, I'll start with the, we're going to get to the economic stuff and spending and jobs in just a second. Mm-hmm. But I want to walk through. Here's... Um, some sound from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, in his rather shaky press conference this morning. Take a listen. We're not at war with, with Iran. 
Uh, and, yeah, the Houthis uh, continue to do some things that are very uh, irresponsible and illegal. The president will not tolerate attacks on American troops, and neither will I. All right, there you see it uh, here. John, I want to begin with you um, covering this beat. Look, I think we are at war with Iran, point number one. And point number two, this is day five without a response to what happened that killed three American service members. I think we're dishonoring them. We're dishonoring the whole country. Over three dozen were wounded. We lost two Navy SEALs before that. And still, they've done nothing. It, it is rather surprising. And every day that goes by, I think the Iranians are looking back and saying that this is an administration that, that can't find its way forward. Now, you'll remember that uh, back in 2020, when Qassem Soleimani was taken out, there was a, a lag time between the time that that American contractor was killed mm -hmm. and the time that Soleimani was taken out. But I think that's because they were waiting for the precise moment that they could hit Iran as hard as possible. Every indication that we're getting from this administration, particularly with that uh, press conference today, was that they're not planning on hitting Iran, Iran. in any way, right. shape, or form. Nothing. No oil fields, command and control, training centers. They're going to hit these militia-backed outposts, but they're not going to hit Iran. And there, I there's, think there's that's some thought about mistake. what they might do with the Iranian ship that's in the Red Sea that's giving the targeting information to the oh. Houthis. But that would be pulling a very big trigger if they tried to take that out. Uh, and I think a trigger that Biden doesn't want to pull. And one, right. And one last point. At no point have we heard anything that they are going to restore the sanctions, the Trump sanctions that were sanctioned by Congress at the same time. And that's something you could they do in, in a, you, that's something you could do in a matter of hours. Exactly. And yet still nothing. It's an economic response, right? And nothing. They don't do I it. I think the American people are hoping that they're taking their time because this is going to be big. But I think that might be wishful thinking. All right. Wishful thinking. Um, Sandra Smith, so you're writing, yes, texting me early in the morning <laughs> with all kinds of bad news, you know. I was kind of enjoying... Who else am I going to talk to about me the economy? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, my mea culpa, I was wrong about the slowdown in the recession. So was the entire... I don't think you were wrong. ...forecasting fraternity. Well, the Fed, the, everyone was wrong. Okay. But you mentioned all these job layoffs. Tomorrow's a jobs number. Taylor is going to accurately predict the jobs number before it. Okay. But it is interesting. You get my stock trading app out. The month of January alone, this is from Challenger Gray. Mm -hmm. um, total jobs lost, 82,307. Finance jobs lost, 23,000. Tech jobs lost, 15,000. Food producing jobs lost. And in general, other surveys have shown the same thing. In fact, one survey shows in tech overall last year lost 260,000 jobs. Now, I say it, and I think the spirit you sent it to me, unemployment remains low, and most of these monthly job gains are pretty good. So what's up with these layoffs? Why, why don't they Well, how else show do you up? fix inflation, right? This is the Fed's goal, right? You have to you see a drag on the economy before prices can come down. Um, my guess is that the Federal Reserve... Um, is looking more closely at that than inflation. Um, huh. You know, if the labor market takes a significant hit, we could see a significant downturn in the American economy. 
Um, as far as why is the unemployment this, you know there's a lot of other factors that go into the unemployment number. Um, but as far I, it's a trend I notice. So I said Larry Kudlow should probably, I need to ask Larry about this. Um, every day I wake up, I see headlines about more job cuts. I mean, these are these are substantial job cuts. Yeah, these are, techno- are. in technology, numbers. finance. Right. Um, what was it? Uh, Deloitte just announced another this morning. There's a trend happening UPS, there. UPS twelve thousand, PayPal twenty five hundred. These are your numbers. Um, total of lost forty thousand jobs, according to one survey. I think we should take note. I think we should take note because how else do you bring prices down without inflicting some serious economic pain on the American people? So let's remind everybody that the reason this has to happen and the reason the labor market would be seeing this hit is because the Fed's been tasked with tackling inflation that was caused in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, so I think there's a significant thing happening there. So That's spe- the technical term. A significant thing. I like that. So, Taylor, um, on the subject of government spending, mm-hmm. okay, which happens to be inflationary, mm-hmm. uh, and I will credit the Wall Street Journal this morning, but it's something Sandra and I talked about, other people have talked about it. They are still spending their keisters off, okay? <laughs> and I just want to go back. The misnamed Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. uh, re-estimated $1.2 trillion by Penn, Warden, whatever they're called, because they're unlimited subsidies going in there. The so-called CHIPS Act, in total, $300 billion. And then just for the hell of it, a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. That's oh. what's being spent out. So I'm going to read some yep. more numbers, and then you can tee off on it. <laughs> the deficit in 23, fiscal uh-huh. 23, was a cool $2 trillion. This is with a 3.7% unemployment rate. Mm. And yeah, like you said. $2 trillion. Hang on. 7.5% of GDP. Yep. Okay. And the middle of... Was you know we're growing at three percent, and in twenty four fiscal twenty four the first quarter, up twenty percent five hundred nine billion dollars. They're on track for a two point four trillion dollar deficit, which would be about eight and a half percent of GDP. I mean this is insanity. Wild. It's insane. Insanity. It's insane. And like you said, all this spending is unfortunately you guessed it inflationary, which is why we're in this problem to begin with. Uh, Nassim Taleb, author of Black Swan, came Mm. out in the last few days and said we're heading towards another cliff. He really doesn't like the debt and deficits going on. Even Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase coming out in the last few weeks and saying this is a problem. So when you hear sort of Mr. Doom and Gloom say it, maybe you think, oh, well, that's his position. But when Jamie Dimon is really talking about it, too, you have to perk up your ears and listen. I don't know if it's a one-year, a two-year problem, but it could be a 5-10-20 year problem if we don't fix our spending problem. The biggest contributor to GDP <laughs> in the last year is government. The yes. G, the G, right? C plus Fact. I plus G plus net exports. Grew at about 4.5%. Now, it's a small component, so it's not driving. But still, the biggest growth rate of the GDP components was but government. That's, that's the context in which Jamie Dimon government, made those comments Roberts, in Davos. Government, which you have covered Adrian, for all these <laughs> I, years. I, I, I still long for the heady days of the end of the Clinton administration, not, not necessarily for the president, but for the economy, where we were running a budget surplus. Yes, that and is they were correct. actually having meetings at the White Those House were the days. about retiring the well, debt. What to do with it? Point was five point seven trillion, and what to give in what vehicle to give investors when they weren't selling T bills anymore? 
Well, they fixed that problem. <laughs> Eight and a half percent of GDP budget deficit, and you're growing the economy at three percent with less than four percent, uh, and inflation is supposedly coming down. I don't get it. I admit I was wrong in my forecast about a bad downturn last year. But I don't know. This stuff is not sustainable. We could also talk about how people can't afford to live, and 25 percent of them are living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck, and, and, and a small percentage of Americans have enough stash for a rainy day. Um, I got it's it. tight. You should have a business show. Oh. You'd be very good at it. I'll just come on your show, Larry. Anytime. Good to be here. Anytime, Sandy. It's good to have John Roberts John in town, Roberts, isn't it? It's a pleasure to it's see you. It's good to be here in New York City. I'm you know? coming down. I, I hear all this news of, about how things the state are. State of the Union. How things really are. Okay. Right. Yeah. Don't take a walk alone. Taylor, Rich, <laughs> as always, terrific stuff. Raise your pleasure. hand. And remember, you can catch Sandra and John on America Reports weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. Taylor co-hosts with Brian Brenberg and Jackie DeAngelis at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Big Money Show right here on Fox Business. All right, I'm Cudlow. This is The Business Show. General Keith Kellogg <laughs> is up next. We got some tough work for him to mull over. Please stick around, folks. That was very entertaining, that was kids. That was really entertaining. All right, joining us now, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor in the Trump administration, and uh, AFPI advisor on national security. Keith, uh, we're short of time, but look, question. Instead of hitting Iran, the administration is pushing a long ceasefire with Israel, and uh, now they're trying to stop, they're sanctioning Israelis uh, on the West Bank, trying to defend themselves. Keith, I'm just going to give it to I don't understand this. Hey, Larry, thanks for having me. I don't either. I mean, it's, it's just a, walking down the same path which is a path of failure. It's been failure in the past. It's failure in the future. They're talking about ceasefire, which is wrong. They're talking a two-part solution before a peace agreement is made. That's wrong. We did that in the, when we looked in the uh, Peace Through Prosperity Plan in, the, in our administration when we were there, that you have to have a peace plan before you have that. They're looking at minor target hits when they're talking about response to losing three young, young Americans. And it's, it's almost like it's risk avoidance constantly, hoping that nothing big is going to break. Well, Larry, it is. And any time you appease nations like Iran and others, you're just asking for more trouble. So this is an administration that their national security policy and plan is really out of control. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not under control at all. There is no control. What is the point about pushing for an Israeli ceasefire? I don't get that either. They want a long-term ceasefire. And we know the U.N. workers have thrown in with Hamas, and we know that Iran is still on the loose. Yeah, look, th this to me is still an existential fight for Israel. They have got to eliminate, reduce, eradicate Hamas. And having a ceasefire isn't going to do that. All the ceasefire does, Larry, and you know that, is allow them to restock, rearm, refit, get ready to go back and fight again. They must eradicate Hamas. It's a terrorist organization. They killed Americans. They're still American hostages. And, and we should just acknowledge that and say, no, let the Israelis finish the job. Is it hard? Sure. Is it risky? Sure. Is it going to cause problems? Sure. But let them do it. All right. Well said. Uh, General Keith Kellogg, a dear friend, uh, much more time the next time, Keith. I'm sorry about today, but uh, you're right. I don't know what the heck they're doing. Anyway, Keith Kellogg, thanks a lot, folks. I'll be right back with my last word. You know, massive government spending, $2 trillion deficits as far as the eye can see, 8% of GDP, even more borrowing. That is no way to build a healthy economy. Best way to do 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.